I want to read verses 1 through 5, 2 Thessalonians 1, and I want to just pull out one little phrase tonight and speak on that for a while. And uh, I don't think it'd be long, but I've said that before. Uh, Paul and Silvanus and uh, Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. And the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. That would be to rule and to reign with Christ. Verse 5. But I want you to notice something about this church. There's actually two, two amazing statements made about this church that we would want to draw out of it and, and pursue uh, here at the Faith Bible Baptist Church or at the Brightway Baptist Church. And the first and the one I want to preach on is in verse 3 in the middle. It says, because your faith groweth exceedingly. And I want to speak tonight for a little bit on help in making your faith grow. Help in making your faith grow. What a testimony here about this church that your faith groweth exceedingly. Wow. I wonder if uh, any of us would make that claim. Uh, boy, my faith has been growing exceedingly or the church's faith has been growing exceedingly, and I think I saw an example of this in action uh, this week that I'll share later in the message. And the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. That sounds like this morning's sermon, uh, how we're community. Uh, the church is a, a Christian community that we belong to, a family of brothers and sisters in the Lord, as Pastor Barron preached. And we all should be having charity one toward another, and that that should abound. Now, can you imagine belonging to a church like that? And I hope that we will uh, take this either as something we're practicing or something we need to step up to and practice more. Wouldn't it be nice to be in a church where the people's faith groweth exceedingly and their charity towards each other aboundeth? aboundeth, and um, that's another subject another time about charity. But this here statement, because your faith groweth exceedingly, is, is what I just want to look at, and look at some of the uh, things about faith. This would be like a faith 101 type of a message, a review of a lot of things maybe that that uh, you uh, already know, you've already heard maybe from me, you'll, you'll hear some repeats tonight. Uh, those of you that have attended here for a while, but what is the condition of your faith? What is the condition of Is it growing? Is it grown at all? Uh, is there evidence in your life or in mine of, of real faith in action? And uh, I've got a little illustration here. Uh, kids, this is a hickory nut. See how small it is? That's a hickory nut. All right? It's a hickory nut. It came from the tree next door. We, we have a phenomenon at our house every year, and this is the season. And that is the squirrels go up the hickory tree and shake the tree. They just, I mean, it, it, it look, they look like crazed weasels. They're just—they're literally up there shaking the tree, and it—and it, you look up and you just see big branches shaking, and there's no wind, and then these nuts are falling everywhere. And we have a deck, an upper deck, out our back door, and you just hear these things all day, bang, bang, bang. And I should have brought one. They're—they're they're about this big, because they got a shell around them, and then they climb down because when they hit the ground, the shell breaks off, and they're after this. 
And then they go and hide these and forget where they hit them. And that's how hickory trees. Now, the hickory tree that this nut came off of is about, well, I'm going to guess minimum 60 feet tall, maybe 80. It is absolutely huge. It is a huge tree. And kids, that huge tree came out of a nut like this. That huge tree that's been there, I think, as long as we've lived there. We've, November will be 40 years that we have lived in that house, and it's about this far off of our property. It goes straight up and just, just bombards their pool with nuts and our deck with nuts. They don't like the tree. We don't like the tree. Um, but it is a, a sensation to watch those squirrels just go crazy. At the right time, every year, just for about a week, and they're just shaking the whole tree. And bang, these things are falling like grenades. They're about that big. And man, you don't want to get hit with one of them. And my wife picks them up by the hundreds. By the hundreds every year, puts them in tote. But that big, huge tree one time was a little nut like this. Now that is an illustration of what it means to grow exceedingly. There's a tree inside of here. And if this was planted in the right place, it would, it, would, it would bust out of that hard shell and it would start growing. And it'd probably take two people together to put your arms around it. And uh, it goes up, it just seems forever. And at one time was all contained in a little nut like that. And it became that big tree. A lot of the other nuts didn't become anything. It was laid around and eventually rotted. But that that one became a big tree. And you know, that's how it is in the body of Christ. Some people's faith becomes absolutely nothing. There's nothing they can honestly say that in a divine, supernatural way, their faith uh, made something happen. I want to encourage you not to live that way, but to explore the potential of your faith in an omnipotent God and to see what God can do with you. And so this phrase, groweth exceedingly, would you say that is something that God would write about you? Your faith, since you were saved, groweth exceedingly. Would God write that about our church? This is a local church. Paul only... He, he only uh, spent a couple of weeks there before they ran him out of town. I mean, somehow he planted a church in like two weeks. And they ran him out of ch- uh, town. Um, but something lasted. And this church was, was one of those amazing churches of the region called Macedonia. And he wrote to the Corinthians who were in the region of Achaia. He says, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. This was an outstanding church. The Macedonian church, the Berean church, was even more noble than this church in that they received the word of God with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily. Whether those things were so, the Philippian church, that amazing church, was in the region of Macedonia. And God's grace was bestowed upon the churches of a whole region in Macedonia, and one of those was Thessalonica. And it says in the book of 1 Thessalonians, turn back there, chapter 3. I barely had a voice Friday night. <clears throat> and uh, it's, it's not great tonight either. I wish I could have sung with the man. I love singing. <coughs> Verse 10. Night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now, this is the first book. And here, Paul, the same three guys, Paul, Silvanius, who is also known as Silas, and Timothy, are writing in the first book. They, Like I said, they got run out of town. But here he writes to them the first letter, the epistle, and says, Night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. So in the first 
book. They're praying for that which is lacking in their faith. In the second book, which was not written that long afterwards, he said, your faith groweth exceedingly. So this is not something that has to be a year-long endeavor or a lifelong endeavor. Uh, It's something that can grow in us exceedingly in a short time. So notice those two verses, and notice that they bring out, number one, the potential of faith. What is the potential of an individual's faith or a church's faith? This verse says it can be perfected. Faith can be perfected. See that in verse 10? And might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. So it's possible to have faith. It's possible to have something lacking in your faith. It's not a a perfect faith. But it can be perfected. That is the potential. Every one of us, there is the potential of our faith being perfected. Now, what does that word uh, perfected mean? It means to be without fault, to be complete, to be mature. (coughs) God can perfect your faith so that there is nothing lacking in your faith. Have you ever noticed there's different realms of your life? There's your health, maybe your finances and your marriage and your Christian service and somebody may have great faith in God uh, about their health they just pray to the Lord and they don't like taking medicine they don't like doctors and they just pray to the Lord but even though they may have great faith in that area they have no faith in the financial realm and they're losing sleep and they're worrying about their money and they're working three jobs and they don't know how they're going to make it Some some people have great faith in one realm and no faith in another. There is something lacking in their faith. Uh, Some people have great faith in health and and, uh, finances, maybe in their marriage, their family, but they don't have the faith to step out and do something in Christian service. They spend their whole life thinking, I don't see how God could ever use me. And so there's something lacking. They may be strong in these realms, lacking in that realm and uh, some people may have a lot of faith in different realms but no faith in soul winning and they are absolutely convinced that God could never use them to reach a soul so why should I even try that's what he means here by perfect that which is lacking he said we want to get back there we want to perfect that which is lacking in your faith and And I hope you'll put your faith under a microscope now in your heart and mind tonight and and say, okay, where am I strong? What are my strong areas in faith? What areas am I weak in? And what areas do I have no faith at all? No faith at all. I like the honesty of that one man who has brought his sick, demon-possessed child to the Lord. Remember that story? And, And he said, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Boy, he was honest. Praise God for those who have honest, humble hearts and said, Lord, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. I, I just, my faith is not pure. My faith is not perfect yet. My faith is incomplete. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. So we see the potential of faith. Your faith, my faith can be perfected in every area. And then in the first verse we read, which was in 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 3, we saw that faith can grow exceedingly. So we can eventually have so much faith in an omnipotent God, also in an omniscient God who knows everything. He can give us all the wisdom we need. Some people say, well, I just can't trust God or the Bible. I got to ask everybody and his brother, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? Well, we could get all that from the Bible. Get the wisdom from above, but they don't have the faith. And so... Uh, their faith needs to grow. So faith can be perfected and faith can grow. That is the potential of your faith and the faith of your church. All right. Notice number two, the preeminence of faith. Turn to 1 
Corinthians 13 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. I know there's a lot of people sick, and there was a lot of people sick in Ohio. I said, what's wrong with you people? And they said they're, they're harvesting the uh, soybeans or something. They said, when that happens, everybody gets allergies and sneezing and everything. I said, oh, okay. I was wondering what's wrong with you. But uh, I said, I've been sick since I crossed the border of Ohio and got, came down here. You know this verse, 13, 13, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Notice the preeminence of faith. Now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Notice faith is counted in the top three of all the graces that God can possibly bestow upon us. There's so many different graces. And uh, charity is, of course, the greatest Notice that faith's right up there. I mean, you may have, I don't know how many people in the Olympics running the steeplechase, but at the end, at the Olympics, <clears throat> there's only three on the stand. First place, second place, and third place. And it's an, it's an amazing honor to ever get that far in any athletic competition where you're either first, second, or third. Now, I don't know if faith is second or third, but it's, Silver medal or bronze medal, I wouldn't mind having any one of those. Faith is way up there when it comes to preeminence. The preeminence. So pay attention to the condition of your faith. Examine your faith. Put it under the microscope. Ask yourself, how are you doing? We see the preeminence of faith in that famous verse in Hebrews 11, verse 6. It says, so then without faith, It is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So notice the preeminence of faith. Without faith, you can't please God. Now you can, we may have faults and stuff that he puts up with, but without faith, we can't please him. Faithlessness or unbelief is really... I like to call it borderline blasphemy. That some little puny, dinky little human being like you and me should think there's something too hard for God. That's, that's about as close to blasphemy as you can get to, to injure his character. And uh, boy, But you hear it all the time. You know, hey, let's pray for your loved one. Over. Oh, no, they'll never get saved. Well, be it unto you according to your faith. That's what Jesus said, You'll never, they'll never get saved. Be it unto you according to your faith. So we've got to realize it's preeminence, and, and so it needs to take a preeminent place in our lives. The condition of our personal faith and of the faith of our church. And then third of all, the product of faith. True faith cannot be faked. Turn to James chapter number 2. James chapter number 2. True faith cannot be faked. (coughs) Did you see Jim Kelly got baptized the other day? Anyone see that? You know where my wife and I saw that? We were sitting in the Hampton Inn in Englewood, Ohio, having breakfast. And they got the big TVs up there, you know, and Fox News was on. And it says, Jim Kelly gets baptized. And it shows Jim Kelly in the pool with his pastor. And the pastor's asking if he believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, absolutely. And uh, he uh, says, upon your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You probably go home and watch it. And I was just rejoicing in this. There had to be a million people see that. I don't know how many people, I don't know why I'm on this rabbit trail, but, but uh, I was rejoicing. I said, you know something, a lot of people watch Fox News. And they got the whole thing on there, what the pastor's saying and him, you got to go watch it. And uh, praise the Lord. I was rejoicing. Hallelujah. And uh, I, I said, that can't hurt. That can't hurt our country. 
there's going to be a whole lot, there's going to be millions of people saying, why did he get baptized? And he made the statement that, that when he received the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior, that's the greatest thing that ever happened to me in my life. Amen. Imagine that guy had been to four, four Super Bowls. That's the greatest thing that ever happened to my life. Amen. And uh, I, just, I just, I don't know, I just want to share that with you. And I rejoice in the Lord. Nobody watched my baptism. <laughs> <laughs> But there had to be a million. I don't know how many people watch Fox. But I'm thinking, praise the Lord, millions of people are seeing a baptism by immersion and a guy confessing his faith in Christ. That's got to sow some seed in our country. Especially in this, talk about community, football community, man alive. That thing is insane these days. (coughs) We all gather around what we love. If we love the Lord, we'll be in church. If we love God's people, we'll be in church. If we love football, we'll be with all football people. But anyway, hallelujah. But anyway, faith, that's what it is. I'm getting up to this. The product of faith is threefold. You know, the alliteration I give all the time. Number one is works. And so he showed his faith by his works. Have you been baptized? Have you been saved? Have you been baptized after you were truly saved? And um, we've got to show our faith by our works. Notice it's mentioned three times now in James chapter 2, verses 18, 20, and 26. <coughs> yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Notice the product of faith is works. Look at verse 20. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Then notice verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So I want you to notice the product of faith is number one, works. You cannot fake faith. If you have faith in God and what God says in his word, you are going to, upon that faith in God and upon that faith in God's word, act upon it and attempt something. You are going to attempt something. Faith without works is dead. And sometimes you you can do something as simple as partner up with somebody and just say, hey, let's make ourselves available to God. Let's go out for one hour, just one hour. And let us see what God does with us. And you'll be amazed. You'll come back with stories. Yeah. yeah. You'll say, uh, you know, we, we uh, got together, went to Fiji, and we had 1,800 people show up and 397 decisions for Christ in a week. What if they'd have stayed home? They could have stayed home. All the creature comforts we have in America, they could have stayed home. People probably criticize, what are you going on there for? Because faith without works is dead. But they put their faith to work, and what happened? And Pastor Barron was saying, you know, how many trips have you taken, sister? Uh, 20. Uh, Has there ever been a time where someone didn't get saved? No. See, faith, real faith cannot be faked. It, 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 It causes a man or woman or a boy or a girl to attempt something. Attempt something. Uh, with God. Then it produces words. It produces words. Go back to 2 Corinthians 4.13. Real faith produces words. (coughs) Works and words. I don't know how how it went with Brother Bullard, but he went to the Grand Cayman because he could use his abilities, his knowledge that God has given him in his profession and go down and, and teach some in law enforcement these things and open the door through that for them to hear the gospel. Okay? And he said, pray for me, and I was praying for him every day. Some of you were probably too. And, when, and I don't know what happened, but uh, something always happens. Something always happens. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to uh, activate your faith Faith without works, faith, promise, missions, giving, faith. We call it faith, promise, missions, giving. Where somebody just says, by faith, I'm going to help missionaries around the world 
God, I'm going to trust in you to give me this amount of money each week to put towards missions or month or whatever you do. And, and then you and God become partners, financial partners uh, in that matter. And, and almost all the time you hear the same story that the year ends and you didn't even miss the money. And God blessed, and the next year you, you raise the amount. That, that's happened to so many people because their faith caused them to do works, give, be good stewards to missions, help them, and God used that. And I've seen people do things, just somebody said by faith, you know, I know it's hard in New York now, but used to, I remember people just say, I was the same way. My wife, too. We'd just go to the pastor and say, we want a bus. We want a bus. And uh, somehow the pastor would find us a bus and a driver, and we'd go around by faith. And guess what happened? Something happened every time. Every single time something happened. Where kids, teens, adults started coming in, someone would get saved and things. Amen? I remember a lady one time went to her pastor and said, uh, yeah, she was, she was a counselor and everything, but she was saved. She loved the Lord, and, and uh, he didn't see the potential in her, but she asked for a, a classroom, and they gave her like a little room underneath the steps in the church because he knew nothing was going to happen. Make a long story short, pretty soon it was the largest Sunday school class in the church, and she was teaching other adult women, about 100 women every Sunday. She was teaching them the word of the Lord on women's subjects, you know, like the older women teach the younger women in Titus chapter 2. And she just stepped out by faith and, 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 and built that class, built bus routes. I've seen, I mean, every church that's ever been started anywhere in the world in all history was once the vision in someone's mind that God put there. And God said, let's you and me partner. You trust in me. Let's do this. And they began to do the works. And God bless. See, faith produces works, and then faith produces words. (coughs) When you really believe something, it comes out of your heart once in a while. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And it says here in in, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 13, we having the same spirit of faith. That's our subject tonight, faith. According as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak. Notice twice in that verse it tells us if you really believe, it's going to end up in words coming out of your mouth. I believe, therefore have I spoken. And maybe sometimes the fault why we don't witness, uh, why we don't be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, we don't, we don't say something is maybe we don't have faith that we really believe what we believe. But when your faith grows exceedingly, you begin to, begin to say things, you begin to try to steer conversations around to spiritual things and tell people the truth. Faith produces words and then faith produces wonders faith produces wonders there's a whole chapter in hebrews 11 about men and women like sarah and rahab and then all those men starting with enoch and then abraham and isaac and jacob and moses and (coughs) david and samuel the whole chapter is what we call the faith chapter of the bible where God did through men and women, simple men and women who are no different or better than us, great wonders. Great wonders. By faith, Moses. <laughs> and and, and he, he just got right with God finally. And by faith, he began to lead Israel. God helped him. And, and what did he see? He just saw miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Um, the parting of the Red Sea, the judgment on all the false gods of Egypt, and uh, water from a rock, manna for 40 years, 
to feed his congregation of three million people maybe? Every day for 40 years? Pillar of fire by night, pillar of cloud by day to kind of air condition them and give them light, divine night light I call it. Uh, I like night lights in my house. It just saves me a lot of injuries. <laughs> um, but uh, got all these miracles in Moses by faith. But one day he made a choice. He said, I don't want to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I want to serve Christ. And his faith produced a life of wonders. Wonders. So faith produces works, and faith produces words, and faith produces wonders. And it can't be faked. You can't fake faith. The evidence has to be works, men and women attempting things for God, words coming out of their mouth on the behalf of God, and wonders happening like, wow, what just happened? What just happened? And there are so many stories in the Bible, men and women, just like you and I, even children, children. (coughs) You kids, there's stories in the Bible of little children that had faith in God. And I think of that little boy that came up to Jesus with his lunch. Disciples trying to figure out how we're going to buy food for everybody, 5,000 men there. He says, well, here's my lunch. He gave that to the Lord. Boy, what a story he had. Are you going to have some stories in your life that are absolutely divine, supernatural? There's no other way to explain. No other way to explain what happened. But that God did it. He never does it the way we think he's going to. He does it in the way he gets the glory and our, our faith increases. So, how does it grow? We've seen the potential of faith. It can grow exceedingly. It can be perfected. Uh, We've seen the preeminence of faith. It's on the the stand. I don't know where. It's either first, second, or third in the Olympics. Faith. I mean, don't forget about your faith. Man, be focused on that. And then the product of faith. Works, words, and wonders. So how does it grow? Well, we can see, number one, it grows by prayer. I want to encourage you to make this a matter of prayer. <clears throat> write your own prayer list for your own self. It's good to write out everybody else's names. I've encouraged you to do that lately. Get a notebook to start writing down names of people. All right. Uh, and, and, and as you meet them, we had a new lady here today. I'm going to put her name on my list. And her daughter, granddaughter. Granddaughter loved it. I heard she was 10 years old. Loved church this morning. Just loved it. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, saw her last week at the memorial service. Invited her to church. She said, you got any love in your church? I said, we got some. <laughs> That's what she asked me. First question. You got any love in your church? I said, I said we do. We got some people that really love each other. I said, we're, we're human. We're imperfect. But we're trying to love each other. She said, I just went to a church for 10 weeks. And nobody talked to me. Pastor never approached me, never talked to me once. I said, well, you can come to our church and give it a good try. And she was here this morning. Praise the Lord. And brought her granddaughter. And her granddaughter was 10 years old, loved it. So, well, hallelujah. Uh, Praise the Lord. But we need to have love. We're talking about faith, though, tonight. Talking about faith tonight. Pray. Pray for faith. Pray for faith. And uh, <clears throat> as they uh, were talking about those there in, in uh, Thessalonica, we read that verse earlier, in, uh, and I'll just read it again. 1 Thessalonians 3.10, uh, it talks about these three men, Paul, Silvanus, who is Silas, and Timothy. And it says this about them, um, First, which verse was it? First Thessalonians three ten. Okay, let me write three ten. Night and day, praying exceedingly 
that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. So we can pray for others. If you see somebody who's lacking faith in any particular area, don't gossip about it. Don't tell other people. Just go to the throne and say, Lord, help this person in this area of their life to have faith. Night and day praying, listen, exceedingly. Can you imagine that? Three guys all day, all night, praying exceedingly for the church at Thessalonica that their faith might be perfected. What praying? And then what did we read in the next book? Your faith groweth exceedingly. What brought that about? What brought that about? Someone was praying. So pray for the condition of your own faith. Pray for the faith of your church. Pray, Lord, you know, if you think our church needs more faith, don't gossip about it. Get on your knees. Go before the throne and say, Lord, help us to have more faith just to attempt things with almighty God's help and and see what he'll do. Prayer. Um, Jesus once prayed. We're talking about prayer and faith here. He once prayed for a guy named Peter. And he said this in Luke 22 and verse uh, number 32. He said, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. He just got done saying, Peter, you have no idea what I'm about ready to tell you, but Satan desires to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Man, I, we used to have a sifter on the farm. We sifted wheat and made our own bird seed. <laughs> I mean, that's, Satan wants to shake you up. But I have prayed for thee. That's what Jesus said. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Now, Peter's character failed. All right? His character failed. We know that. But his faith didn't fail. He stuck with the Lord, and he'd spend about the next 37 years just serving God by faith. With a strong faith. Peter was one of the heroes of our, our faith. And we talked about the guy earlier who said, um, <coughs> um, Uh, whatever he said, Lord, help thou mine unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. He prayed. And boy, I think when, when Jesus, he put up with that. Aren't you glad the Lord puts up with that? When we even say, Lord, I, I, I think I believe, but you got to help me. I, I'm, I'm just being honest with you. And then God does the miracle. Do you think his faith grew when he saw his son healed? You see. And that's where works comes in, number two. Prayer and then works, as we mentioned earlier. Jesus gave the strangest answer to the prayer of the disciples in Luke 17. And I'm almost done, but Luke 17, 6. He says, um, they say to him in verse 5, the apostles said unto him, Lord, increase our faith. So there's their prayer. Pray about the condition of your faith. (laughs) All right? Now, if you're serious about this business, you may end up with a bunch of trials and tribulations. uh, And you may end up in a situation that says, okay, and takes everything away from you. I don't know what he's going to do, but he's going to find a way to increase your faith. Lord, increase our faith. And then he says in the next verse, verse 6, you don't need a great faith. Uh, You just need a mustard seed of faith in a great God. See, that's your problem. Uh, We're looking to have this great faith, so maybe we can even take the credit. But we don't need great faith. We just need a mustard seed of faith in a very great God. One of the things some of us need to do tonight is get a bigger God. Get a bigger God. We're idolaters. That's the biggest sin in the church today. We're idolaters. We've invented our own gods in our own minds. And when you or I say something like this, well, he can't do that, or that'll never happen, or they'll never get saved, you're an idolater who has invented a God in your mind that is not in the Bible. That God is not in the Bible. That's that's in your mind, that God. Well, he can't do this. You know, it's just, uh, I've seen people, I'll, I'll never get married. Well, not with that attitude, you won't. 
I'll never own a house. Boy, I've heard these things. Why won't you ever own a house? Well, it's just, it's just too much. Is it too much for your God? Well, get a bigger God. Trade that idol. Get that idol out of your mind that you've created, who's extremely limited, and get the God of the Bible in your heart. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. Nothing too hard. And then he says, go to work. It's such a strange answer. It won't take time to read it, but verse 6, he says, you just, you just need a, a little uh, grain of uh, faith as the grain of mustard seed. And then in verse 7, it's almost like he changes the whole, with these words in verse 7, but which of you? And then he goes on, he just simply says this, you just start doing everything I command you. Amen. And, and I remember reading that for years, thinking the Lord never answered his, their question. It, their inquiry. Lord, increase our faith. He says, you don't need a lot of faith, just need a mustard seed and a great God. But, and then it almost seems to change this, but which of you having a servant plowing and feeding in the camp? And he starts talking about work and just doing your duty. Just do the work I ask you to do your duty because when you do that, then God begins to do things that will increase your faith. Let me illustrate. Let's say there's one man over here, he never goes out soul winning. Another man over here, he goes out soul winning. What does this man learn that this man never, ever will learn? The mighty works of God. And by doing it, his faith increases. And he says, man, I've gone out to the fairs, the soul winning booths. I've gone out on visitation and, and God has used me. I can't believe God has used me, but, he, but he's used me. And then he begins to develop faith. And the more he goes out, the more he even gets excited about it. And he says, I wonder what God's going to do this time. I'm going to give him a couple hours on Saturday. And I wonder how God, and he has all these experiences that, Increases faith. This guy never does. Let's say there's a guy over here never prays. Here's a guy here prays all the time. He's doing the work. He's doing his duty. And in that life of prayer, what does he start seeing happening? All kinds of miracles. You see, when we do the work of God... He joins us and he just, he just shows us, he just does things through us that, that uh, I mean, what if Gideon said, Lord, that, I'm sorry, I got 300 guys here, your plan's not going to work, we're not going to do it. You know, breaking the pitchers and blowing the trumpets or whatever they did. I get the stories mixed up sometimes. But he did it. He did what God told him to do and boy, did he have a story to tell the rest of his life. Man, alive. And the person who just does the commandments of the Lord and does their duty, Jesus says in Luke 17, that'll increase your faith. That'll increase your faith. The person who gives versus the person who doesn't. Look, I love, I love pastors, but there's some pastors I cannot convince to start faith promise missions in their church. I can't convince them. I love them, but I can't convince them. They're so afraid it's going to affect the general offerings. And they're not going to be able to pay the bills and the salaries. And so I said, no, 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 no. I said, we have more in our general fund today than we've ever had in our history. In a year where we gave more to missions than we ever gave in our history. No, no. And I've, I've tried. But see, those individuals in those churches that attempt faith promise missions giving, which is based on Scripture, they have stories to tell that'll build their faith. Their faith has become unshakable. This person has no idea what you're talking about. See that? It's kind of a funny answer. I, I couldn't figure it out for years. Where Jesus said, I'll forget about this increasing your faith. Just go do my commandments and do your duty. And boy, in doing that, all kinds of things happen. Like, whoa, guess what happened? And your faith increases. 
go to work. <coughs> and then the word of God. This is the last one, Romans ten seventeen. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We don't hear the word of God. We read it. We check off the boxes. We listen to it at church, but we've forgotten what was said by 2 o'clock in the afternoon. But faith cometh by hearing. Hearing is beyond listening. Hearing is when we comprehend with the heart what God has said to us. Hearing. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And unto you that hear shall more be given, Jesus said. Now let me give you an example, two examples how it works for me and then we're done. Turn to Matthew 16, 18. I'm going to show you a verse that you've read over and over and over again. But maybe, maybe, maybe you haven't gotten this out of it. And I want to show you how the word of God can increase your faith. A couple examples in closing. Very famous verse. Matthew 16, 18. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Notice what Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now you can just read through that and say that's interesting, and go on. But if you, if you read your Bible slowly, and if you'll meditate, meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly unto them, and thy profiting, you'll profit, shall appear unto all. Everybody will say, well, he profits, she profits from her relationship with God's word, the Bible. He does too. Others just stay the same. They read through it over and over and over and over and over and over again. Never change. So I'm reading through this and I'm thinking about what I'm reading. And Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When Jesus said that, all right, when Jesus said that, how many churches were on earth? I'm trying to give you an exi- a, a visual aid here. Zero. He was starting one. He was starting the first one, right? This is the first time the word church is ever even introduced in all the Bible. He says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now there's a lot of discussion on what does the gates of hell mean. But it's basically, I believe that it means that no matter what the forces of evil throw, at the church of Jesus Christ, it'll never prevail against the church. Now, when did he say this? About 2,000 years ago. He was starting a kind of a ragtag church uh, of uh, uh, roamers who were roaming around Galilee, and, and, and once in a while they'd go through Samaria and dip down into Judea and back into Galilee, and they were kind of hunkered down in Capernaum, and they were going to all the cities and towns and villages, men and women. Just kind of a, a mobile circuit-riding church, which eventually hunkered down after the resurrection of Christ from the dead and his ascension into heaven, into what was called the very first church, called the Church at Jerusalem. First one. First one ever. 120 people. We're told 120 people. And he said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Question. How many churches are there today? 2,000 years later. I don't, I don't know if you can count. Big, small, medium size. Does it sound like he kept his word? When there was zero? Can you imagine the apostles listening to that? I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not reveal it. How many churches were there in the first century? Plus the second century. Plus the third. 
plus the fourth, plus the fifth. And we're up to the 20, whatever, 21st century. I don't know. I, I, I've heard there's about 14,000 independent Baptist churches just in America. And what about all the other Baptists? And Presbyterians and Methodists and Wesleyans and Pentecostals and, and, and uh, um, Assembly of God people and who are truly born again. They've received Christ as their Savior. What about the underground church in China? That you, you, There's no way you can count them or where they meet. And all hell has thrown everything it can against God's church. They've crucified God's people. They've stoned them to death. They've burned them at the stake. They've, they've uh, uh, sawn them in sunder and, and they've, they've imprisoned them and they've driven them down underground into the catacombs where they weren't seen for a while. And, and uh, there's, there's been underground churches and, and they're, they're burning churches today in Nigeria and places and just killing people, not letting them. And then if they try to run out of the burning church, they're gunned down. But it doesn't matter what the world or the flesh or the devil has thrown against his church. His church is alive and well and vibrant on earth today. How many have there been? Do you ever look at the Bible like that and say, wow, my Lord said when there were no churches, I'm going to build my church and nothing can stop it. And we have the privilege of belonging to one. Do you read the Bible like that? Or do you just say, okay, check off the box? My, oh my. I saw that one day and I said, wow, I just want to fall down, kneel down and worship you. I can depend on his word. If he said it, it's going to happen. And that grows my faith. Every time I see something like that in the Bible, my faith grows. One more. Told you I'd be short. That was long Friday night, man. Those people were like saucer eyed. We had a good time, though. Heaven and earth shall pass away, Matthew 24, verse 35. But my words shall not pass away. You know, it's exactly quoted that way in Mark and Luke. So if you memorize that verse, you can memorize three verses and tell everybody else. I memorized three verses this week. Heaven and earth shall pass away. But my words shall not pass away, no. Let me ask you a question tonight. Jesus' words, they're in red letters. How many of his words had been written at this time? I'm giving you a visual aid here, a little little hint. Yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those guys wrote about 50s, 60s, 70s AD, somewhere around there. He ascended in heaven 30 AD, so there was a, a period where his words were not down in writing. But he said to his disciples, he says, heaven and earth is going to pass away someday, but not my words. Not my words. You ever just read through that or just, does it ever just stop you dead in your tracks and say, wow. 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 Because when he said that, nobody had ever written one single word yet that he had spoken. And today... According to Dr. David Sorensen, there have been printed and distributed six billion complete King James Bibles. That's just English. And there's so many Bibles in so many other languages. And when I read that, I say, wow. <laughs> wow. What a Savior. And my faith grows exceedingly. And that's just the English Bible. What about all the New Testaments that have been printed besides the six billion 
King James and distributed. What about all the John and Romans that have been taken out of this book and printed up and distributed? The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of them that... You know, Ken Ham, I know he's an evangelical. I understand that. And uh, praise the Lord for some really good evangelicals in our country. Amen? We're more fundamentalists. You, you know that. But we went down there. My wife and I went down to the Ark Encounter on Wednesday and the Creation Museum on Thursday. They're about 45 minutes apart. Th- those things are first class. Those things are huge. Those things are like going to Disneyland or something. I'm, I'm like, whoa. And all of that, and I'm trying to think how much did this cost, paid for, and it all started in one man's mind. One man, not a preacher, a scientist, Ken Ham, who said, I want to witness to this world that evolution is a farce and give them something to teach them about true science. And in one man's mind who had faith in a real big God. That's all been done. And there he was sitting there, you know, signing books for people, talking to people. One man's mind. In one man's life. If you haven't been there, you might want to go. It's evangelical, but boy, it's it's a very good testimony for Jesus Christ. First class. The place was mobbed. Tuesday, mobbed on Wednesday. Or Wednesday and Thursday when we were there, just mobbed. And I just look at that and say, wow, how did this happen? One man said, I'm going to do something with my life. I'm going to attempt something with my life. Whether people like it or not, everybody's going to get criticized, no matter what you try to do. So I'm going to do something. With my life. Wow. Wow, wow. It's amazing what one man or one woman can do with uh, faith in God. Then other people live and die. Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. That's how they go to heaven like that. All that potential that's in there. They did nothing with it. Let's be good stewards of our faith. We're going to close by singing page 531. Thank you for your attention tonight. I just had that on my heart that I hope will help you, help our church. Pastor Barron, uh, and here's where you're all going to get nervous. Even after that sermon, you're going to get nervous. I got a feeling he'd love to have a bigger church building on bigger property somewhere. I just got that sense from him. And some of you just got real nervous. Real nervous. Because of this subject tonight. Faith. Because we don't have it. And I'm down there on those acres and acres of land, my wife and I were looking around, man, wow, one man had faith, one man had faith, if you build it, they'll come, they say, right, that's what the world says, <laughs> you know that big, huge Wesleyan church on Hamburg, I don't agree with everything they're doing, but you know the big one, they were once on the little one at the corner of Newton and uh, McKinley. And the pastor one day said, you know, we can only get about 200 people in here. We got to have something else. We got to have something else. We need more land and a bigger building. So guess what they did? They dressed the congregation. People started giving. They started, bought some big land, big building. And they've filled up the place. They have several services. And we don't agree with all their doctrine and everything, but they're pretty much gospel-preaching people. Amen? And uh, so that'll shake you up.
He wants to do what? I didn't say that. He didn't say that either, but I think he's been hinting at that sometimes. This is kind of a landlocked building here. We kind of reached the potential. Anyway, I know whom I have believed. It's page 531. I love this song. It's one of my favorites. It's not really an invitation, but I know whom I have believed. How's your faith tonight? We said you could pray. That's a good starting point. Maybe some would come to this altar and say, God, increase my faith. Increase my faith. Let's stand together and sing page 531. I know whom I have believed.